What you're seeing here is really gross for a consumer, but I have to tell you, it is no surprise at all for any chef in any fish restaurant or anybody who sells at retail. They see this all the time. They don't want people to know about it, but this is part of fish. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Bristol Bay, Alaska, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and North Sumatra, Indonesia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 93 of season 5, number 392 overall. And you may have noticed when you went to download the show that we have a brand new logo on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Wherever you get your shows, you should have seen this new logo. And I just wanted to take a second to say thank you to our amazing graphics person, Haley, for putting this thing together. She's not going to like the fact that I'm mentioning her name, but she deserves the recognition. So thank you so much, Haley. It really does encompass what the show is about. I love the pineapple, by the way way. A plus effort. Love it so much. So I hope that you like the logo as well. Now at the top of the show, I mentioned three cities. We always mention three cities at the top, but why did I mention today Bristol Bay, New Bedford, and North Sumatra? It's because they are all home to some of the largest fisheries in the world. These are big time commercial fishing areas. And picture this. You buy a piece of fish at the store, and when you get home, you get ready to cook it. You open it up, but you notice a bunch of worms crawling around on top of it. That piece of fish that you bought at the store you thought was safe, it is infested with parasites. And it kind of makes you wonder, what is filling your filet. What are the dangers that are swimming on your seafood? Well, Dr. Neil Barnard is here with us to tell the sickening truth about what is lurking on the fish that you are eating. And this is something that every seafood lover should hear. And it goes beyond just these nasty parasites too. We're gonna extend the scope of our conversation into toxins and antibiotics and pesticides all things to be concerned about. Also, because we're taking fish off of our plate, where are we getting omega-3s from? You're not getting them from the fish anymore, so where do you get them? What are those healthy sources? Dr. Barnard will weigh in on that. Also, opening up the doctor's mailbag, taking questions from the exam roomies who joined us for the exam room live broadcast. We heard from Gina who's feeling great, just started to eat a plant-based diet and wondering what's giving her all kinds of energy now. What's happening inside of her body that's making her feel so good? And also, we're going to wrap everything up with a phenomenal five-star health success. You will hear the story of an 88-year-old, an 88-year-old feeling great, feeling resilient, feeling anything but 88. But we start today with a thank you and a very big one to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. 
The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. So what is up with your fish? It's a great conversation with Dr. Neil Barnard from The Exam Room Live. Dr. Barnard, I want to start with the fish. I absolutely want to start with the fish here today. And this conversation, it really started with a video that the folks over at Seaspiracy posted on their Instagram. And it uh, I, it's just kind of stomach churning. Let me go ahead and pull this up on the screen here. I want to play this for you. And if you could just kind of tell us what it is that you're seeing here, I just, my mind is blown. This is one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. What you're seeing here is really gross for a consumer, but I have to tell you, it is no surprise at all for any chef in any fish restaurant or anybody who sells at retail. They see this all the time and they they don't really want people to know about it, but this is part of, part of fish. There are... Um, are, are living parasites kind of endemic in fish, both freshwater fish and saltwater fish. Very, very common. So I, I want for you to think back to the days before you started to eat that plant-based diet. Did you ever eat fish? And if you did, if you got it from the store, did you ever open up a package and see the parasites really swimming around on top, just like we saw in that video there? Well, I'm happy to tell you I stopped eating fish a really long time ago. Um, so that those were the old days. But fish are uh, fish are very often uh, contaminated with this. Here's the deal: the fish is in the water. It could be the ocean, could be a river, could be a lake. What very often happens is that eggs of parasites will be in the water, and it's a very easy thing for the fish to ingest that parasite egg. Uh, it could be a roundworm. Uh, egg. It could be a flatworm. It could be a tapeworm. Um, and so they ingest this egg. The egg goes down their intestinal tract of the fish. And then the uh, as, as the little parasite emerges, it can actually bore through the intestinal wall into the fish's muscle. So you go to the store and you're buying some fish. The, what has happened is that the person uh, dressing the fish will slice the, the meat off and the, the parasite has already borne into the part that you are going to buy. So it may be on the surface, but it may be inside uh, the fish. Now, researchers have also looked at, well, can you kill it? And the, the big problem with this is when people will grill any kind of meat, you know how if you're going to grill, not you, but uh, some of our people before they change their diet might grill a, a steak or a burger. It can get black on the outside, but while it's still a little pink on the inside, what that means is that high temperature might not penetrate all the way through. So parasites very often will survive the cooking process until you turn it into a shingle. Um, so the, on the other hand, a lot of people like to have fish undercooked or even raw. Think sushi bar. And so in that case, there's a humongous problem. They sometimes try to get around it by freezing the fish. Uh, but you've got to freeze them for a long time to kill those parasites at least 24 hours at a really cold temperature. Uh, but on the way into the freezer, where is the fish? On the loading dock, on the various tables that they're using, and the contamination is just a humongous problem. So needless to say, Chuck, 
that has been a big turnoff and for good reason. No question about it. And the funny thing is doing research for this show, reading up about what was the proper temperature to cook a fish. They say that in order to kill the parasites, it needs to be cooked uh, to a temperature internally of at least 145 degrees. However, the great chefs of the world say, well, now that is just the equivalent of doing a hamburger super well done. It's going to dry it all out. So the fish that you get served at a restaurant even very likely has not reached 145 degrees, which leaves on the table the possibility that with your fish, that nice filet that you just plopped down about $75 for, you're also getting the side of worms. And that to me just does not sound appetizing whatsoever. <laughs> And you get home and you start to not feel so good. And what, what, what you'll see with these roundworm infections is you feel terrible, you get a little fever. Um, it may just pass or it may persist for a while. In some of these cases, the flatworm infections, they, they can last for a really long time. Um, you've heard of people getting um, their liver infected, even their lungs uh, will get infected and it goes on for a long time until doctors make the, the, the diagnosis. And of course, the one that everybody you kind of hear childhood nightmare was the tapeworm. We're familiar with this, the beef tapeworm. There is the pork tapeworm. There are also fish tapeworms. And the tapeworm goes down your, isn't this a gross discussion, Chuck? I can't believe we're talking about this, but, but it's important. <laughs> the, the, the tapeworm will adhere to the intestinal tract and it just holds on and stays there and grows. And within your intestinal tract, that tapeworm can be up to about 30 feet long, uh, all coiled up inside your intestinal tract, feeding off your nutrition. Uh, the nutrition that's coming down the, the, the intestinal tract, and they can also tap into your bloodstream a little bit. Uh, it's relatively easy to treat once it's diagnosed, but many people are not diagnosed for a really long time. And, and I got to tell you, once they are, nobody who knows them ever wants to eat fish again. Can we just back that up? Did you say the tapeworm can grow to be 30 feet long inside of you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow. Uh, that, that's right. And this is not uncommon. These, these are long very long uh, uh, t t flat tapeworms. Every, every medical student remembers the words Diphilobothrium latum. That's the fish tapeworm that they learned about in the first year of medical school and they saw it on the screen and that's when they all decided they were never going to eat fish again. Uh, so yeah, no, this is a real problem. Keep in mind you're eating a living animal that was eating. Fish are carnivores. So the big fish eats the little fish. The little fish eats the really small fish. And so the parasites tend to go through that particular food chain much more rapidly than you would tend to see. All the other animals people eat are vegans. People eat cows, they eat chickens, you know, they, they eat animals that don't eat other animals. But with fish, you've got this huge um, food chain where not only are chemicals passing up, but so are the, the parasites as well. And, and one last thing, Chuck, just to, to be clear, a lot of people are choosing wild fish species because they think, well, that's got to be healthier than the farmed fish. I see what you mean because the farmed fish are filled with chemicals. Um, the trade-off though is that the wild fish are heavily parasitized. In the farmed fish, because of the heavy use of chemicals, it's, it's basically just nuking uh, the product. So uh, it's less likely to be parasitized, but more likely to be just loaded with chemicals, which is why so many people are just saying, that's just not something that we should be having as part of our diet. 
Yeah. So now when you're talking about those chemicals, uh, the toxins that are included here, how easy is it for those to be transferred into our system? Like you ingest it and then you're not just, again, getting the fish, you're getting the antibiotics, you're getting the toxins. How easy is it for that stuff to accumulate in your system over time if you make fish a regular part of your menu? It's automatic. And that's why we see the CDC regularly issuing warnings about chemical contamination in fish. And part of this is, is not the fault of the, the people dumping the chemicals in the fish farm. They have their own culpability. But the fish themselves, because they are eating smaller fish that have eaten smaller fish, they are bioconcentrating uh, all of the industrial chemicals as well as the heavy metals like mercury is probably the best known. And that's why the CDC will issue warnings. Okay, if you're a pregnant woman, if you're a really little child, your brain is forming, so you don't want to be hammering it with, with heavy metals. And then, of course, um, all everybody reading those warnings will think, what if I'm not pregnant? Do I want my brain to be sort uh, absorbing that mercury either? Um, so those are those are important questions. But 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 Chuck, there's one other thing that, that should come in here. Why are people choosing fish anyway? Uh, if they have a taste for fish, OK, fair enough. But if they if they're doing it because they think it's healthier. You go to the store and you get some Atlantic salmon because you heard that that was going to be the, the, the healthy choice. It's 40% fat as a percentage of calories, so it won't help your weight loss at all. It's got cholesterol in it and saturated fat. Your cholesterol level is not going to drop at all. So you're eating this stuff. It doesn't help you with weight loss. It doesn't reduce your cholesterol. The, really about the only thing it can brag about is there is some omega-3 in it. Not most of the fat, but there is some omega-3. Um, and that has some health benefit, but you can get this, get omega-3s at healthier sources. So my vote is to suggest that people don't think of fish as healthy, uh, as health food. It's really one of the dirtiest and most contaminated foods that we've got. Yeah, you know what? Uh, let's stick with the omega-3s for a second because Mahendra at 1159 was wondering about omega-3s from fish. Were they necessary to get it from that? You just said that you could get it from other sources. What are some of those other sources? Yeah, great question, uh, because people have imagined, well, omega-3 that's in fish. There are some omega-3s in fish, but most, again, let me repeat this, most of the fat in fish is not omega-3 at all. It's just calorie-laden um, other kinds of fat, including saturated fat. But there are two fats that you need. One is the omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid. It's very widespread in plants, especially things like you hear about chia seeds and that kind of thing. But it's in ordinary broccoli and spinach and kale, if you send them to the laboratory, there are traces of fat in these uh, that are very high proportionately in these, this healthy omega-3. The other fat you need is called linoleic acid, and that's in plants too. Bottom line, uh, you're going to get the healthy fats that you need from plants. Now, if you wanted to really push harder on omega-3 and say, well, I've heard that maybe I really need a lot of omega-3. The science is not really there, but if that's where you are going, you can go to the store or go online and you'll see fish oil, that's DHA and EPA. Right next to it is the cleaner plant-derived DHA EPA. It's got the same active ingredient minus all the junk. Um, so the vegan ones have been there for a number of years. And for those people who are, who are choosing to supplement, that's the cleaner source. You know, and, and here's the thing, what we're talking about today, I'm telling you, like that video that we showed at the top, that was not just something that was created for, for a movie, right? That's not computer generated imagery there. What, what that is, that is actually happening 
And Roxanne in the chat at uh, 12.07, she's watching today. She's an exam room. tuning in on YouTube. She writes, I had whitefish once. I bought a filet, and even after I cooked it, I saw a couple of curled up worms underneath of the skin with the little disgusting emoji face right next to it. So it's a very real phenomenon. How big of a problem or how common is this, Dr. Barnard? It's extremely common. It's routine. Uh, that's the whole reason why the government says cook it and so forth. But the, the problem is that the cooking, just, just as uh, the, the viewer mentioned, is often not effective. It's very, very easy for the inside not to get adequately cooked. Because, because keep in mind, that's where these parasites typically come from. They don't drop out of the ceiling onto the surface of the fish. Uh, the, the eggs went into the fish's body, bored from the intestine into the muscle tissue, and are sitting inside there. You may not even know they're there. So you look at the fish in your pan. See nothing. Cut it open. Uh-oh. That's where it is. You you may you you know biting into it may be your first encounter. So you people don't know about this at all. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd say something a little bit stronger than that, but uh yeah, I think that we get the point. Um it's funny. I've got some numbers here uh about the uh, just how common of a problem this is. There've been a number of studies that were done over the years. Uh, one particular study that was done in Denmark found that 90% of the fish that they had tested uh, was confirmed to have a parasite. A British study said that it was 75%. And really, uh, the parasites were found across the board, whether they were uh, whether the fish was wild caught or whether it was uh, farm raised or in a hatchery or something like that. So really, the source of your fish is kind of irrelevant at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, th there's a reason why so many people are turning away from it. And I have to say, from a health standpoint, that's a really good thing. Uh, years ago, researchers started to say, well, maybe if we had more fish in our diet, we'd do better. What they meant was it can't be as bad as a pork chop. So if you have fish instead of pork chops or steak or liver, you're going to have somewhat less cholesterol. And that's true. But the difference was rather small which is why fish eaters don't really have dramatically better health compared to the people eating any kind of meat. So uh, it's a good thing that the trend is continuing away from fish and toward a completely plant-based diet. And uh, really quick housekeeping here. Uh, we talk about cooking, being able to kill the parasites. A lot of people are saying, well, freezing can actually do the same. Um, how effective of a method is that? How familiar are you with that? I yeah. Uh, completely ineffective. If you do it for a little while, you know, okay, uh, we're going to have dinner tonight. It's three o'clock. Let me throw the fish into the freezer and, you know, hopefully that'll kill who's ever in it. Um, you pull it out. It didn't do a thing. Um, in fact, the restaurateurs all know that they've got to have it in there for at least 24 hours. And even then it doesn't necessarily work. All right. Good to know. Probably a good idea to skip the fish. Good thing though, that uh, just like with everything else, there are a ton of uh, plant-based fish uh, on the market now as well. Um, just phenomenal what technology has been able to do if fish is, is your jam. Chuck, I have to tell you, you are exactly right with that. Um, there's even here in the Physicians Committee's office, if you run downstairs to Rodman's Foods, um, they have frozen, I think it's Gardein brand, uh, these little, it's just like fish and chip kind of fish that you would get in an English ch chip shop. Uh, totally plant-based got all the flavor. So I'm not necessarily saying you should you have to have that. But for the people who like that fishy taste, but they didn't want the cholesterol, the fat, the mercury, or the little worms saying hello, um, what they find is they've got the product out there. True story. Gave some of those to my my 85-year-old, 80, 80, oh man, 87-year-old father-in-law. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, gave some to him. Didn't tell him that they were plant-based. Takes a bite. And he says, 
Gordon's does it again. Gordon's being, you know, the big fish brand. So there you go. I mean, that kind of says it all. The guy's been eating that for 87 years and he still can't taste the difference. I think that that's, that's phenomenal. Um, we have Debbie in the chat at 12.09 wondering, well, we're talking about raw fish here being particularly harmful, but what if you go out to a sushi restaurant and you get the vegan sushi? Do you still have to worry about any sort of cross-contamination, do you think? Um, in, in everything that went into the vegan sushi, perfectly fine. What is sushi? It's a nori, nori seaweed wrapper, rice inside that. And then there's the cucumber or the asparagus or the sweet potato or whatever inside. None of that is parasitized. All that is very clean. Um, the problem, the, the problem you will have is if the chef was not particularly hygienic and had some parasitized fish on the table just before they put your cucumber roll on top, that could be a problem. So the cross-contamination is an issue and you want your people to be as clean as they can be. Oh man, the exam roomies are full of stories today. Marjorie, 1211. I was standing in the checkout lane at the grocery store and the lady ahead of me was buying a package of fish. I saw a worm wiggling in it. She hadn't noticed it. Oh dear. <laughs> and, and do you point it out? <laughs> I mean, it's, oh man, that is the quandary of all quandaries, isn't it? Forgive uh, me for saying this about the fish, bud. <laughs> I mean, my, I'm, I, I if I'm the person who's buying the fish, I would certainly hope that my fellow man or woman would, would help me out here and say, eh, you probably don't want that. I see a worm right there. But hey, you know, what do I know? Uh, Riri eats what? Fun name. 1210. How will you know? We were talking about tapeworms earlier. Uh, Riri, 1210. How will you know if you have a tapeworm? Um, if you have symptoms and you go to the doctor and the doctor suspects this or, or really any kind of parasitism, there are tests that they will do. Um, what they'll do is they'll send you to a laboratory that'll give you little vials that have a preservative in it and you put a stool sample in there. And the, the test is called O&P, OVA and parasites. And they have special ones, OVA and parasites and giardiasis, where, where they're looking for giardia. Um, there, there's a whole range of parasites that are routinely tested for it. And frankly, that's because they're routinely found. Um, and uh, the, the, the challenge is that most many people have symptoms and they just kind of ignore it um, or their symptoms aren't too severe and they never, ever get tested. Um, once a person has been tested and if they're found and it's found early and if the, those little uh, flatworms haven't yet gone into your liver or your lungs, um, if they catch it early, it's pretty easy to treat. A uh, few people wondering about uh, DHA. So I guess this kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about with the omega-3s. Uh, there are healthier options for all of that as well, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, if you, and I have to say the science hasn't caught up with the question yet. The, 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 I mean, it's a great question. Should I be supplementing DHA or EPA? Those are the omega-3s. And of course, the reason people think that, I, I think the top of the list is Alzheimer's. We don't know that supplementing will pre prevent Alzheimer's or even reduce the risk. We don't have evidence. But there has been some suggestion that people who naturally are really low in their blood in DHA and EPA might be at higher risk. So that has led people to want to um, supplement. And that's where the vegan supplements are really handy. Vegan DHA, EPA supplements are easy to get on Amazon and everywhere else. Uh, but we don't yet know if they're going to work, and we also don't know if there are going to be side effects from, from extra EPA of any source. So one solution may be, before you supplement, do an easy test you can do at home to see if you are low in um, your omega-3 fatty acids. 
there are companies. Omega Quant is probably the best known. You uh, go online. They will send you a test kit. Costs probably 50 bucks, something like that. Your test kit arrives in the mail. You prick your finger and a little drop of blood goes onto the little card. You mail it in. And a week or so later, they say, here is your DHA level. Here is your EPA level. Here it is in relation to norms. And if you are low, at that point, you might decide, all right, um, maybe I do want to start taking the DHA or DHA EPA supplement. Your decision. Uh, if you choose to do that, I wouldn't bother with the fish-derived ones. The vegan ones, the plant-derived ones are are cleaner and they're available everywhere. You know, Dr. Barnard, uh, this question or this comment from Nancy really makes me think that uh, we're, we're doing our job today because Nancy at 1223 says, I will never look at fish the same way again. Never look at fish the same way again. But that makes me think, Dr. Barnard, well, we've talked a lot about fish, but you know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about, you know, really meat yet. We haven't talked about dairy yet. And I know that there's a lot of parasites and contamination that can happen with those as well. We've had some really fun, and I'm going to put fun in quotations there, fun conversations about that. So let's talk about, uh, instead of fish, let's switch over to, say, you're bringing home a steak to cook for dinner. What are some of the parasites, some of the contamination <laughs> things that we have to worry about there? You know, I feel like we're going to be so fun at parties. <laughs> really? Oh, is that steak tartare there? Um, okay. Uh, well, before we, before we talk about all, all the, the most more common reasons to avoid that, that steak or the beef in general, uh, let's stick with parasites for a minute. Um, there is such thing as a beef tapeworm. So those big, long, curling tapeworms may well have come from beef. And that is the big reason why every public health expert says, do not ever, ever eat raw, raw beef, even if you're French, even if this is part of your culinary tradition. It's just so risky to do uh, and, and for, for the same, exactly the same kind of reason. But, but even if you nuked it and you knocked out all of those, um, the tapeworms or the other parasites that are there, if you knocked out the viruses and, and the bacteria like E. coli and salmonella that are in, frankly, any kind of animal muscle, what are you left with? You're left with a big boatload of cholesterol that's going to make your cholesterol go up. Even worse, you're left with a huge amount of saturated fat. That's the solid fat that causes your body to make more cholesterol, which is an even bigger problem. And finally, when you eat these foods, they cause changes in your digestive tract that make colon cancer more likely to occur. And other forms of cancer come from them as well. So these are really a, a, a cocktails of disease-causing foods that you really don't want to subject yourself to. And and perhaps more importantly, subject your family to. Uh, the milk thing. I know that we've talked in depth about where that milk comes from. And if you put the milk under a microscope, you're probably going to discover some things in there that you don't want, even if it has been pasteurized. Uh, specific to milk, if you're just drinking a glass of that, what else might you be drinking? Yeah, well, the number one nutrient in milk, surprisingly enough, is sugar. I know that sounds funny, but it's not sugar added. The cow's body makes lactose sugar that is the number one nutrient in the milk. And number two is fat, not good fat. It's mostly saturated fat. So that's, the, the, that's where the calories are really coming from in your milk, cheese, ice cream, anything else. But there's another thing, and laboratories very often um, uh, bring forward some really kind of disturbing information about pus cells. And that's a kind of a creepy word, but what they really mean is white blood cells um, are, are in the milk. And this is because the cow is a living 
being that has infections. And when the cow is trying to fight off mastitis or other kinds, I'm t- that's a, uh, an infection of the, of the mammary gland tissue, um, they make white blood cells to try to, to kill off the bacteria or the viruses that are in there. And so the viruses or bacteria and the pus cells end up in the milk and it's in just about every carton. Um, if you look there, they're there. And finally, if we aren't depressed enough, um, there are hormones in every glass of milk. And that's because the cow, she's got estradiol, the female hormone in her blood. It gets into the milk and it goes down the tubes into your glass of milk or your ice cream. And because cows are impregnated every year by artificial insemination to keep their milk production high, um, they they are milked well into their pregnancy when they're making more and more and more estradiol. So you got an eight year old son, you're giving him a glass of milk because you think this is protein for him. Uh, there are female sex hormones, estradiol, estradiol in particular, in the milk that you're feeding your son or your seven-year-old daughter, you're feeding her estradiol too. Um, it's in every kind of dairy product. It's not on the, not written on the carton, but it is there and it's part of the reason that people are avoiding it. We're going to go back to fish here for a second. Chris, at 1223, great question here. Um, can't believe that this didn't come up. What about canned tuna, since that's already been cooked? What's the parasitic risk there? Uh, the parasitic risk should be low. Um, you know, you think you're opening up a can of worms. Chances are you're opening up a can, uh, a can of mercury more than anything else. That's, that's the big issue. Is um, Tuna is a big fish. And so that means that that fish has been eating a lot of smaller fish for a long time before ending up in somebody's net. Um, and that's the whole reason why it's one of the, the fish at the top of the, the list of public health uh, people to say, because of the heavy metal and chemical consumpt- uh, uh, contamination in it, that's a food not to eat. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and broaden our discussion a little bit there. Well, here's a good question. Mommy Vegan Nummy here. Uh, do we really need omega in our body? We kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, right? Um, the omega-3s that you need are based on plants. That's the uh, original source of them. And, and yes, you do need the omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid. That is a plant-derived omega-3 that your body uses to make all the others. So that's the one that's 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 essential. And, and yeah, you, you do need it, but it's in plants and it's easy to find. Two quick tips. Um, my favorite source really is green vegetables. There's not a lot of fat in green vegetables, but what there is is heavily weighted toward omega-3. So bring the green vegetables in, have them be part of your normal diet. And secondly, avoid the other kinds of fats, all that fryer grease or the grease that, you know, gets baked into French fries and so forth, because that kind of fat will squeeze the good fat out of your diet. Melanie at 1229, we were talking about hormones being uh, added to a a lot of these foods here. 1229, I worry about all of the added hormones for my young daughters. Um, That's something that you actually wrote about in your body in balance here. Talk to us about kind of what happens when we start to ingest all of these things at such a young age. If you have a, if you're raising a daughter, what you're really thinking is about when my daughter's 30, 35, 40, is she going to be at risk for for breast cancer? And we've known for many, many years that one of the big drivers for that is the female sex hormone estradiol. If her body is making more estradiol, it tends to cause uh, breast cancer cells to be more likely to arise. The estradiol actually goes into a breast cell, passes into the nucleus and can cause genetic changes, causing it to become a cancer cell. But once those cancer cells have arisen, the estradiol causes them to grow. More estradiol in her blood, the more likely all this is to happen. The hormones that we're talking about in foods 
are not primarily hormones that are added. They are ones that the cow made. Now, now there are hormones that are added. About one in five dairy farms in the United States uses something called bovine growth hormone. They inject it and the cow is producing even more milk. Uh, and this has been controversial because when you force a cow's body to make more and more milk, their um, uh, udder gets distended and they get mastitis uh, and infl inflammation and, and they get infections. And then so you, you give them antibiotics to fight that and you don't want the antibiotics in the milk and it creates a whole big issue. About 80% of dairies don't use that anymore. But when they have asked the FDA to say, our milk is hormone free, the FDA says, uh-uh, you cannot make that claim. They, they cannot, there has never been a carton of milk that says hormone free because the cow is making estradiol every minute of every day and it's going into the milk. So, so th that's the reason to avoid dairy or one of many reasons to avoid giving dairy to your kids. It's, it's a hormone, it's in every dairy product and it's in significant enough levels that when, say, the Adventist Health Study compared dairy consumption to breast cancer risk, they found this nice correlation. The more dairy women eat, the higher their risk of breast cancer. Yeah, and Melanie here, uh, pointing one out uh, for us at 1233, says, my father died of male breast cancer, so I take the topic very seriously. I keep dairy out of our home as much as possible. Um, so again, even though the rates of breast cancer are much lower for men, it's still something that we, as guys here, Dr. Barnard, want to take into consideration, I would imagine. Oh my goodness. Yes, uh, male breast cancer is, is much rarer than, than female breast cancer. However, there's, there's another thing that every guy is thinking about, and that's prostate cancer. Uh, prostate cancer, extremely common. Uh, however, it is much less common in men who don't drink milk. And this was found back in about 1998, researchers at Harvard published data on something called the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study. They showed that the men who avoided milk were much less likely to have advanced prostate cancer. Uh, about three, four years later, Harvard did a new study, whole new group of people called the Physician's Health Study. 20 some thousand doctors tracking what they ate year after year, who developed cancer, who didn't, the men who avoided dairy, much less likely to get prostate cancer. Why would avoiding dairy reduce your risk of prostate cancer? The reason is that the dairy consuming man drinks that glass of milk or eats the cheese pizza. The dairy products cause something in his body, something to form, and that's IGF-1, insulin-like insulin growth factor. The dairy, eating the dairy, causes the IGF-1 to form. The IGF-1 in turn causes cancer cells to grow. It's a growth factor. It's like you've got weed seeds in your lawn. If you fertilize them, they're gonna grow. If you've got the occasional cancer cell in your body and you're eating dairy, the IGF-1 is gonna cause those cancer cells to grow. A little bit simplistic, but that's the idea. So the guys who say, skip the milk, I don't want it. They have re reduced their risk of ever getting prostate cancer quite significantly. And we encourage everybody to take advantage of that. Choose soy milk instead. It's associated with reduced risk of breast cancer, reduced risk of prostate cancer. Choose almond milk, rice milk, anything. They're all better on your cereal than the Cosmo product. One more story, and then we're going to broaden our discussion a little bit with the few minutes that we have here remaining on the show. Uh, Deborah at 1231, I had a live tapeworm on my plate at a restaurant once. Eck. <laughs> All right, Deborah. I would imagine that's exactly the reaction that a lot of us would have. Wasn't on the menu, was it? it I, I would hope they're not charging extra for the worms on the side. I don't know. Beef, um, chicken, fish, worms. Yeah. No, hopefully not. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, let's take a question from Gina. This is a feel good question. I feel like we need kind of a feel good question right about now. Uh, Gina wrote in and then she actually sent this one a little bit earlier, uh, sent this in before the show. And she wrote so many people say that they have so much more energy when switching to a whole food plant based diet. I would like to know what physiologically is happening in the body that creates that feeling of having so much more energy. Thank you for all of the education that you and everyone at the Physicians Committee provide for us. I feel fantastic. Yeah, uh, very, very common. Uh, we did a, a study at GEICO, the car insurance company. We actually did two studies in 10 different cities with, with GEICO. Um, and we found very often people would say, I'm losing weight, my diabetes is getting better and whatever, but I also just feel better. We found that depression scores would, would lift. Uh, the, the kind of negative mood would tend to evaporate anxiety would tend to go away. Um, there are really three big contributors. Over the longer term, as people lose weight, because a, a low-fat vegan diet is the best weight loss regimen, um, as people lose weight, they do feel lighter. Um, you are lighter. You're not carrying around so much weight and so forth, and you're feeling better. And you're also feeling maybe a little bit proud of yourself because you've achieved a health goal that you had set. But way before that even happens, um, there's something else which happens, which is within your digestive tract. You're now on a high fiber diet. Plants have fiber, vegetables, fruits, beans, they all have fiber. The fiber moves your intestinal contents along. So constipation makes people feel sluggish when the constipation is gone and your digestive tract is loving you back, um, energy is improved. But there's something that happens even before that, something that happens after every single meal. And that relates to blood viscosity. Viscosity means thickness. Uh, you're, you're going to the store for oil for your, your car. Um, certain oils are high viscosity oils. They're, they're thicker. They're more like Vaseline. There are low viscosity ones that are more like water. Well, when a person is on a diet that's got cheese or meat, animal products in general, those are very high viscosity fats. Think of a, a jar of bacon grease. It's like wax. Um, when those fat particles get into your blood, your blood's viscosity goes up and that means your blood moves more sluggishly. It means the artery walls stiffen up. It means the oxygenation to your muscles is less. So your endurance is not gonna be as hot and the oxygenation of your brain is less. So it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you fall asleep. Um, you take all those foods out of your diet. You're now eating grains and beans and vegetables and fruits, extremely low viscosity foods. Um, your, blood's, your blood, is less thick, it flows more readily, your blood pressure will come down, uh, your, the walls of your blood vessels are more flexible, and you discover your brain oxygenates and you feel more awake and your muscles oxygenate too, which is why the long distance runners say, that's what I want. So the, the, the spring in your step comes from the fact that you're eating low viscosity foods that allow the oxygen to go through your body without a lot of hoo-ha, and then over time your digestive tract will work its way out, it'll feel better. And then as the weight comes off and the health problems uh, melt away or your joints feel better, which is very common because it's an anti-inflammatory diet, the spring comes back into your step. John Zuck at 1234. Um, I'll preface this by saying I have not seen the data on this. I'm a little bit skeptical, Dr. Barnard. I don't know if you have either, but here is the question from John Zuck at 1234. I saw that unchurned cheese lowers the risk for cardiovascular disease and heart disease. What are your thoughts on this? 
No, um, unchurned cheese. Unchurned. Okay. You'll see people talking about various different kinds of dairy products. You didn't churn it. You didn't um, uh, pasteurize it. You didn't do various things. Um, none of these have really changed the macronutrient content, which is what counts. By macronutrient, I'm talking about the amount of sugar in it, uh, the amount of protein in it, or the amount of fat in it. Uh, none of those things are, re are really changed based on, on these processing things. And so we see this pretty much the same problems across the board. Um, interesting question. I wish that uh, we would have this one around April again. Uh, Vicky is wondering whether a plant-based diet could help counter the effects of unhealthy air. Hmm. Uh, interesting question. Actually, the, the short answer is yes in the following way. Back at Johns Hopkins University, probably, I'm going to say maybe the mid-1980s, uh, around 1990, a researcher named Paul Talalay and his team started looking at the effects that certain very common vegetables would have, like broccoli, or all the cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, cabbage. And what they discovered is that there's a natural compound in these vegetables called sulforaphane. You enjoy, enjoy, have the, uh, the, the broccoli or Brussels sprouts, the sulforaphane goes to your liver, and it causes your liver to make what are called phase two enzymes that are detoxifiers. So you're living in downtown Baltimore and you might be having a little smog that comes in and you're ingesting it. And your liver is now able to grab those compounds out of the bloodstream and remove them, uh, detoxify them much more readily. And this became quite a thing at that time, uh, not so much just to get rid of toxins, but as an anti-cancer effect, because we've known for a long time, obviously, the toxins in cigarette smoke uh, or in polluted air or other things can increase the risk of cancer. And we now believe that in addition to trying to avoid those things, if you're having a healthy diet that can eliminate the ones you've ingested, you're going to be way ahead of the game. So the, at the top of the, the list, really the cruciferous vegetables uh, really have this effect more than anything else. Two more questions here. Uh, we'll start with John at 1231. Why are nightshades like tomatoes and bell peppers given such a bad rap? Should we be avoiding them? I don't think we should be avoiding them unless one gives you a problem because it's a very diverse list. It's, it may be a potato, it might be an eggplant, it might be a, a tomato. Yeah, uh, the, the, these are biologically very, very different. If you're sensitive to one of the, them, like you eat potatoes and it causes an inflammatory process, well, then you probably aren't gonna be eating potatoes. But if you have them and you have no symptoms whatsoever, there's no reason to be afraid of the, the nightshades at all. All right, and we'll wrap things up with a fish question here. Maddelson, 1237, we talked about the risks that come with uh, canned tuna. Do we have to worry about parasites there? What about another cooked fish that is canned? Wondering about sardines in this case. Yeah, um, with regard to parasites, probably not. The parasites were, uh, well, they might be there, but they're all dead now. So it's, you're not going to be eating live worms. You'll be eating dead worms. Um, but they, the other issues with regard to contamination remain, and, and particularly with regard to cholesterol and fat, all those issues are still there. Keep in mind, fish, it's not broccoli, doesn't have any fiber in it at all, doesn't have vitamin C, doesn't have the healthy complex carbs you need. People eat it sort of because they grew up with it, and it's bringing fat, cholesterol, and sometimes parasites along with it.
Yeah, well, look, live worms, dead worms. I don't want <laughs> any worms, all right? I mean, I'm just going to leave it right there. Uh, and uh, last comment today, we have uh, somebody who claims to be an insider in the fish industry. Uh, Ju Chu at uh, 1234 worked filleting fish years ago, and cod was the absolute worst with lots of worms and pink pearls that were in the meat. Wild salmon had long white ones along the spine. So in case you were wondering, there you go, straight from an insider. Mm. How's your lunch? Exactly the case. You know, keep, keep in mind, out in the ocean, the, the parasitic eggs are there, and the, the cod, the halibut, and the other animals ingest them. They go down the intestinal tract, bore through the wall, end up in the meat, and there they are. Mm -hmm. Cheer, cheerful show today, Chuck. Oh, man, I'm feeling good about things. I'm just feeling really good about things. But you know what? We do have a couple of exciting things that that we need to share. Can't wrap things up without saying a huge thank you to our friends at the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for supporting the Exam Room podcast and organizations like the Physicians Committee that are carrying on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health while working to end animal abuse while also emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. Truly, this is all encompassing here. And you can visit them online right now at GregoryRiderFund.org. That's Gregory Rider, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org. You see it on your screen right there, or just click the link that's in the episode notes. Uh, Dr. Barnard, we talk about them every time you come on the show and we do these live Q&As. None of this would be possible without their generosity and their support. You know, Greg was such a wonderful example of living compassionately, and Allison has carried that forward in such a beautiful way, and I'm so grateful. And I think that uh, Greg certainly would have appreciated today's show in particular, and I know Allison does as well. So, uh, Dr. Barnard, I appreciate you being here today, my friend. Thank you so very much for covering what was really a gross topic, man, but I feel like it it's something that just needed to be brought to the surface. It's also important for people to be aware of so they can make healthy choices for themselves and for their families. Pretty cool to have an industry insider weigh in toward the end of the show. I can only imagine everything that that person has seen. And really, I don't even want to imagine it. My goodness. Coming up on the next episode of The Exam Room Live, Dr. Will Bolsowitz will be back with us raising our gut health IQs. That will be next Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. We have a link to both pages right now in the episode notes. So go ahead and set a reminder and join us there. What a gross show today. I mean, my goodness, going back to it. What a gross show. And if you were curious about the Parasite video that we were talking about at the top, I've included a link to that on Seaspiracy's Instagram in the episode notes as well. Just, I'm going to issue a word of caution before you click that link that it ain't pretty what you're going to see. I just want you to know that ahead of time. Here's some fun news, some more fun news. We're going to have some huge announcements coming up. I mean, gigantic happenings here on the exam room. I am so excited about these. You're going to be hearing about some enormous plans on the next episode of the show. So the next podcast will be released on Tuesday. So stay tuned. I think you're going to like what you hear. Some big things that are going to kick off 2023 in a major, major way. 
and all of that stuff, it really has me feeling so good. It does. I feel absolutely fantastic, and I want to celebrate what's coming, but we can't do that just yet, so instead, let's celebrate an exam roomie by the name of Terry, who is having a health resurgence as she nears 90 years old. Terry is this week's five-star health success. Terry writes, I'm about to turn 88. Right now, I live in Cambodia, but I was born and raised in California. And back home, I was ignorant. But then I learned a lot from you. So far, I've lost 35 pounds by eating a plant-based diet. I don't eat meat anymore, and the fruits and the vegetables are absolutely wonderful. I was so confused by what I would read from this doctor and that doctor. All of them seem to say something different. But then here you are. The doctors that come on your show are for real. And I just want to thank you for that. What they say is truly backed up with research and science. She says, I'm coming home in the spring for a checkup and I will be getting Dr. Barnard's books while I am there. And you better believe I'm bringing them back home with me. All the best, Terry. Terry, that is awesome to hear. 88 years old. I'm sorry, 88 years young. That, my friend, is a goal that we should all have. We have ourselves a goal. And I have said it once, and I have said it a million times, and I will say it a million more. As long as you wake up in the morning, you have the chance to do better. You have the chance to improve your health. And Terry is living proof of just that. 88 going on 28. That is absolutely fantastic to hear. And if you have a five-star health success that you would like to share, please do that. Do that on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. All you need to do is head over there look for the exam room by the physician's committee, leave a five-star rating, and then in that text box that's right there too where you can leave a review, that's where you tell us about your story and we will read it right here on the show. And that is a great way to wrap things up today, isn't it? Let's go out on a high note, absolutely. So I wanna say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs, albeit in a little bit disgusting manner. Still a very important conversation to have. So thank you, Dr. Barnard, for being here. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>